0: today's sermon text to Luke 22 and we will we will begin at verse 31 and the Lord said Simon Simon indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Father God, I pray that you would open the truth of your word to your people using the feebleness of my lips. And that all things we do would bring glory to you. To your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. I have titled this sermon, The Perseverance of a Saint. And while we will be looking at the life of Peter here, one saved. By the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, my hope for you, for all of us, is that by the end of the sermon, you will see what truly upholds our faith, despite our many failures. Now, the Westminster Confession of Faith states in chapter 17, concerning this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, that they whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. And this eternal aspect, I want to draw your picture to for right now. I'm going to lay forth an illustration that I'm going to refer to throughout the sermon. It's the life of a Christian, and he stands on a road. And although... The top of the road is his present life, so he can only see where he is at now, or perhaps look behind and see where he's been. Underneath that road lies a solid foundation that today I'm going to call perseverance. There are many blessings, like I said, all spiritual blessings, that lie in that foundation. But for today, we're going to talk about perseverance. And so yet, while he can only, this Christian can only look at where he is in the present, he knows, he can have this eternal aspect given to him by the father so that it's like he can glimpse where that road is going in the future because it lies on that foundation of perseverance and i'll be coming back to that illustration a few times throughout the sermon but as described here in god's word and by the writers of the confession there is no doubt that perseverance rightly understood is a most precious blessing given to god's people but as we will see as we look in this snapshot in the life of Peter, you know, it's not a break from the real struggles, some of those failures that we have while we, are, while we are on our Christian walk. So now we're going to turn to the passage and examine perseverance as seen through the eyes of Jesus. But before we can get to that, we are immersed in a problem immediately. This is not your run-of-the-mill problem. Somebody didn't spill the milk. Joe hasn't come down to talk to Peter and say, hey, I've got an issue with you. It's a problem of enormous proportions that only Jesus would be able to identify on this night. Read with me in verse 31. Let's look at what the problem is. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. I've never been given such a message, and I, I hopefully am not given one that clear. But Peter was on this night. He pulled no punches as to what would happen on this night. And it's a danger to all of his intended audience. And so I want to look at the audience. Who is Jesus talking to? Who is he warning at this time? Because I think if we take just a cursory look at the passage here, It almost looks like Jesus is talking just here to Peter. He calls his name twice there. But if we look in the Greek at the word you here, that pronoun in the Greek is plural. So it causes us to ask, well, who is Jesus talking to? Who is the warning of this danger? I'm sure they would want to know. It's a pretty big danger. They might want to know what's coming upon them. And so if you would turn with me to Matthew 26, and we'll be looking at this verse a couple times. In Matthew 26, in verse 31, we'll look at how this you is expanded by the other authors in the Synoptic Gospels. Both Matthew and Mark expand on us to give us a glimpse into who the audience is. Read from verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. And I'm going to stop right there on that verse, because now we can see why Luke uses the plural form of you in his book. You see, Jesus is describing a problem, and the problem is that Satan has asked, not just for Peter, he has asked for all of the disciples on this night. And then Luke continues on, he doesn't say that Satan has just asked for the disciples, he's saying that he's asked for them to sift them as wheat. He has a purpose in mind for what he wants to do to these men. I find it interesting that Jesus uses an illustration here in describing the work of Satan, what he wants to do to the men, which is the same as often described to God himself. When we are talking about this process of separating the wheat from the chaff, sifting the wheat, it is meant to describe a harsh a grinding, and above all, a thorough process in which the purity of the wheat is separated from that which is undesirable, in this case, the chaff. Now, as used by God our Father, this process is seen as a refinement in which his children are purged of those fleshly, those sinful things that hinder them in our Christian walk. And while it is not always peaceful, it's not always painless, it is done For our benefit and for his glory in the long run. Now, but we see here, Satan has asked to do this same thing. But unlike the father, he's looking to sift the men, not to find what is pure in them, not to find what is good, but to destroy that which was good in them. In order to leave behind weak men who would be unable to lead the early church. Men who would be like chaff at which later on, the slightest wind would blow them out of the way. Now, his method of sifting is not left to our imagination. First, he warns them of the sifting, and we'll turn back to Matthew again in that passage, and I'll finish out verse 31. I'll actually read it all again. All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So now we see the methods. We're first warned what he is going to do. Now we are warned what how he plans to sift these men. The plan of the great deceiver is laid forth for us. He looks to grind the men. He looks to destroy their faith and to cause them to flee away from their shepherd, their savior, Jesus Christ. Satan here, in fulfilling the earliest of the prophecies given by God himself to man in the garden, will in short order strike the Son of God, putting a bruise on the heel of the promised seed. Now Jesus' warning, I think we've established, could not be more clear about what is coming upon the disciples. They are about to come under The assault of the evil one, the same adversary who had succeeded in the garden, who had tormented Job, who had tempted Jesus himself, now looks to destroy this fledgling church by killing its head, Jesus Christ, and then scattering its leaders. But let us take hope. Let us take notice that this danger and others is not unforeseen by God as likewise it was not unforeseen by the writers of the confession. In that same chapter 17 that I quoted from earlier, they continue on in point 3, where they write, Nevertheless, the saints may, through the temptation of Satan and the world, there's that warning about the temptation of Satan and the world, the prevalence of corruption remaining in them. And we'll talk about that one in a second. Nevertheless, these saints Through the temptation of Satan, the prevalence of corruption in them and the neglect of the means of preservation can fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein. Whereby they incur God's displeasure, grievous Holy Spirit, come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts, have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalize others and bring temporal judgments on themselves. And so I'm going to take you back to the illustration that I started out with. The road and there was the Christian on the road and at that time he could have that eternal aspect look down but now what's happened to Peter and the other disciples now there's a large pit a large hole in the road that stands in front of him so far we've only talked about the danger that's come from Satan that's a pretty big hole I'd say they're seeing a pretty big pit in the road what happens first when you're driving there's a pit in the road are you looking further down the road to see how you're going to get there no your eyes are going to Glance down, you've lost already that eternal aspect, that looking at where's that foundation of perseverance going. Now I'm looking at this problem that lies lies in front of me. Not only that, I, I can't see how far this hole goes down. How big is this hole? Does it strike down into that foundation that lies underneath my present life? I don't know. So that's where this doubt starts to creep in. Our assurance of perseverance takes a blow here. And so that's the point where we find Peter at this point. The warning is as true for us today as it was to the disciples then. For we still as children of God stand with an enemy that is opposed to all that God does. Look at how Peter describes this enemy later in his life in 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. And then the Old Testament, Zechariah described this enemy in chapter 3, verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at the right hand to oppose him. And the word there, Satan, is literally the adversary. We have an adversary who is prowling around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. And tonight, he's going after the disciples. But you know, Satan is not the only thing that strikes at our perseverance. It's not the only thing that the writers of the Confession warned us about. For our own heart betrays us when we desire to walk in the flesh and not according to the Spirit. The writers of the Confession As I said, call this the prevalence of corruption. That sin which still lies in our body. The old man which we are called to put out. And James rightly shows us how our own heart causes us to stumble. In chapter 1, verse 13 to 15 in his book, he writes, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. That chain that talks about their desire, birth, growth, death the chain of sin in our life if we allow it to grow and this will attack the assurance of our perseverance just as satan did in the first part that we discussed here i think a great illustration i've seen of this effect of sin on our lives was by a dr Sweeting. he was in at niagara falls and he was there in the spring and as the Temperature started to heat up. The ice started to break off the river and flow down and go over the edge of the falls. And he noticed that as the ice was breaking away, oftentimes there were fish that were trapped in the ice. And there were birds hovering overhead. And the birds could see everything that was there. They could see the danger of the falls and the death that would lie if you went over there. But they could see the fish that was lying on this ice. And so the birds were starting to come down. And peck at the fish to see if they could get some of the meat off of that. Easy food for them. Knowing the danger was out there, but figuring they could get out of the way. And eventually he watched this one bird. And it swooped down and it started eating the fish that was in this block of ice. And it was getting closer and closer to the edge of the falls. It had decided to grow in that sin to see where it would take it. And then, just as the ice block was about to go over the edge of the falls, the bird finally realized it was time to fly away if it wanted to live. started to flap its wings, and then the man noticed that its claws had become trapped in the ice as it had sat there and ate the fish. Then he watched as the bird tried to flap its wings, but did not have enough strength to lift itself, that which had tempted it, and the ice block up. And so it plunged to its death. And I think that gives us a great picture of what James is talking to us we are told in God's word what the danger is and yet sometimes we flirt with that sin and we're going towards the edge and then it's perseverance that will take us away from that edge as we'll get to later on so the problem lies before us today as it did on the disciples the night before the death of Jesus in their life as in ours we both stand before a formidable enemy. and We all have hearts that sometimes betray us. And so both of these want to strike at the gift of persevering assurance that is given to us by God. So I'm going to take you back to the illustration, if I could, of the road. We're sitting in front of this hole, once again. This is where we left off. We've got this problem in front of us. And I feel it's at this point that many people take the path of the wrong understanding of what perseverance is, what it means to persevere in this life. You see, as we stand at this road, at this hole, we notice off to our side that there's a fork in the road. And we take a look over. We can't really see where that fork in the road goes to. It just kind of goes a little bit out of the way of the problem, we think. And so this is where I feel many of us go down the wrong path. We're looking for a solution to the problem that is not the solution that led on that road of perseverance that we had seen before when we could look eternally. Instead, we're looking for our own way around the problem. So before we get to what perseverance is, I'm going to take a little trip down that fork in the road and see where it led Peter on the night that he betrayed Jesus. Now, despite the fact that we know we are saved and upheld solely by the grace of God, like I said, when it comes to perseverance, we understand this eternally. When we think about it in that aspect, when we're looking down the road with no problems, we understand perseverance. But then I fear that we live differently in the present reality when there's a problem. When we are, There's a problem in front of us and there's the fork in the road. In contrast to perseverance of the saints... I would call this fork in the road the performance of the saints. And Peter in this passage gives us an insight as to how easy it is to fall down this false path of assuring perseverance. You see, that's why you cannot look too far down that fork in the road. Because it does not lie on the foundation that the other road we had laid laid down. It is formed only As we perform, only as we move each step in our life can we see where that road goes to. And now let's go down that road a little bit where Peter went to. Now, we talked earlier about the prevalence of corruption, and we're going to look at that a little bit in Peter to see how our lives maybe mirror a little bit of Peter. Now, for Peter, although it was one of his greatest strengths, his overconfidence... And his self-assurance he had displayed was also his greatest weakness. And although he had been rebuked many times, even by Jesus himself, his failure in this area area will reach new lows. Now think back. He's been given this great warning. This danger is in front of him. Satan is after you on this night. That's enough to scare anybody, I think. So he's told that. And then in verse 32, he's given the solution. Now, we're going to go ahead and skip over verse 32 right now because that's exactly what Peter did. He saw the problem. He was given the answer, that which would enable him to understand what perseverance is. And he will understand that later on once he's through this whole night. But for now, he says in verse 33, turn with me. Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. The, the danger wasn't enough to scare him. The solution really wasn't what he wanted. He's ready to go and do anything he can for Jesus on this night. And the problem I have with this statement is not necessarily what he said he would do, go to prison and to death, because he would later go to prison and he would later die for his Savior. The problem here is in the presumption of where the power to his success would come from. And the fact is, he decided to go down the fork in the road here on this night. You see, for Peter here, he wasn't looking to the solution that Jesus would give in verse 32. He wasn't looking to work in the will of God the Father. But he saw the problem, and he wanted to go out and slay the dragon under his own power. He wanted to perform as a saint. We are no different than Peter as well, because we want to live our Christian life, oftentimes under our own power. Just like him, we come up to a problem in the road, and we see the fork, and we decide, yes, I think I can perform and get around this problem that's in front of me. Paul describes this in Galatians as trying to be made perfect in the flesh, or trying to live with the confidence that we have in our flesh later on he contrasts this uh effort to live under our own power to to that in a life that lives under the power of the holy spirit now not only do we share that same overconfidence with peter we share in his pride we share in the pride of our first parents who wanted to do things as they wanted to do it it's the same pride we see throughout the bible another great example is nebuchadnezzar he looked out over his whole kingdom and he said man i'm a great guy i'm glad i could do all these things for myself instead of looking at the goodness and the providence and the abundance of god now lastly like peter when we are confronted by this challenge when we look at this hole in the road that lies in front of us so often we are tempted to pass over the words of God. Like he passed over the words of Jesus in verse 32. So that we run out, we're, we're excited, we want to go do, do some work for Christ and his kingdom. But we're barely clothed enough to take the first volley of the enemy. And so we're struck down. And I'm going to take a second just for a little side note. But it's an important one. When the real solution to the problem that lay before Peter on that night and us each time we have a conflict like this. When the real solution is is looked at, our decision to eliminate God, his word from the equation, ultimately is going to harm the body of Christ because it's a selfish action on our part. And that's really what Peter, where Peter was going down the road on this night. You see... His act was sinful. His act was rebellious, given the warning and the solution he was giving. But even more damaging, his success, if it would have happened as he would have wanted it to, would have been disastrous to the other disciples. When we look later on at verse 32, we're going to see one of the real reasons that Peter persevered on this night. And you know what? It wasn't to show that he was the best. It wasn't to show that he was the brightest. It wasn't to show that he was the strongest, as we so often want to be. And as the disciples often fought among themselves, who would be number one, they often asked. The real reason he would overcome was so that he could strengthen his brethren. A strengthening which would not have been possible if he would not have failed on this night. Now, if he would have succeeded as he wanted to on that night, ultimately, that would have been a failure to the rest of the disciples. Although, I guess to himself, he probably would have thought that would have been an okay thing, looking at it just from his point of view. We cannot forget that if we adhere to a belief that our performance, those things that we do, is the reason why we persevere, then ultimately we're looking only at our needs. We're only looking at our successes rather than what the body at large desires, which is where Jesus was looking at on this night. And so we've taken a little side trip down the fork in the road and we've seen that that's where performance will lead us to. And so that's not the answer to the the problem that lies before us. Remember, the problem is pretty big in this case. Satan and a wayward heart. Then what is the solution? How can we persevere in this life? And like I said, if you would turn to verse 32, we'll read the words of Jesus here. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. You see, the answer was given to Peter. It's the same answer that is given to us. And just like he passed over those words on that night so quickly, we oftentimes pass over God's words just the same. And we rush out to do things on our own ability. We take that fork in the road just to see where it's going to go because we think that will get us around the problem. But Jesus shows us the true path of perseverance. And it lies not in our performance, but in him and his advocacy. Just as Jesus prayed for Peter on that night, look at how he sits at the right hand of God today in the heavens as our high priest and advocate. Hebrews 7.25 states, he is able to save to the uttermost. And there that uttermost means completely or forever. That's what we're talking about. Perseverance. He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he ever lives to make intercession for them. Paul states in Romans 8:33 and 34, "Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God the Father, who also makes intercession." For us. John writes in 1 John 2:1, "And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And then in Isaiah 53:12 I want to show how this role of intercession was even prophesied about. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. His intercession was even prophesied for us long ago. I don't know if anybody else sees this in this passage, but whenever I read it, I can't help but compare Judas, who Luke had just previously talked about, to Peter. You see, these were both men under the assault of Satan under the assault of the sinfulness of their own heart, and yet they end up strikingly different after this night. In the case of Judas, we have Jesus not offering a prayer. He's not offering intercession. He's offering up a curse. Luke twenty-two, twenty-two states, And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man! By whom he is betrayed. Woe to that man. Those are the words that Judas got on that night. But in the case of Peter. This is the case of a disciple. Another disciple who is also going to fail Jesus on this night. Deny him three times. In the case of Peter. We have Jesus offering not a curse. Not a rebuke. But a prayer. And it is in this prayer, this intercession, in which Peter's faith is upheld. And it's in the same prayer that our faith is upheld even today. You see, for Peter, just as in our life, we will endure massive struggles and failures. But what Jesus was pointing out to Peter here is that the failure he would go through would not be a failure of his faith. It wouldn't be a failure of his perseverance. It would be a failure in his performance as he went down that road to go around the problem. He didn't trust in the words of Jesus. He didn't really listen to what he said. He wanted to do things his way. You see, God has promised that our faith will persevere because he has chosen us through his election based on his free and unchangeable Love, not, thank God, on our performance. The lesson that Peter would learn, and that we need to learn as well from him, is that performance is not the answer to our perseverance. And likewise, the flip side of that, a failure in our performance is not a loss in the perseverance which was purchased to us by Jesus. And then, if we do go through an event like Peter did, let's listen to all the words of Jesus here. For Peter it was, when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And I would say that same call goes out to us. When he carries us through a problem, a failure, past an enemy like Satan in our life, strengthen your brother and your sisters. Allow them to. To either learn from you if they have not gone through the same thing. Or if they have, pick them up. Just as Peter, in some way as prophesied by Christ, would pick up and strengthen his closest brethren. I saw a great illustration about perseverance and trusting in God. It has to do with an Austrian town. They were under uh, the attack by Napoleon's forces. As the forces were bearing down, the people in this town did everything they could in their own power to try to keep Napoleon's forces away. They dropped everything they were doing, their normal habits and routines, and tried everything they could. But finally, as Easter was approaching, they decided, we've done all we can do. His forces are just about to come over the last hill, and they're going to destroy our town and leave it to be no longer here. And so the people decided on that day, on Easter Day, as a matter of fact, that they would drop what they were doing and return to worship God, which is something that they had turned away from the whole time they were trying to keep the French forces away. And so they went to church and they rang the bells that morning to call the people to come in and worship God. And when the French forces heard the bells ringing, they figured that. Other people had come from surrounding lands and had come to reinforce the village. And so they turned away from the village. So ultimately, this town persevered, not in all the weeks and months worth of work that they did on their own to save themselves. But they were saved by the ringing of bells when they turned to worship God, which is something that they should have been doing the whole time, keeping their focus on him. See, what Peter found out on this night, he, he had figured it out before, but especially on this night, and what we need to remember is the Christian walk is not an easy walk. Oftentimes it's not the prosperous and the peaceful one that we either see on television or we get used to because we live here in the United States with many blessings. But it is a difficult one, with many potholes in the road, given an enemy and a world that hates us and a heart that often wants to betray us. Remember, we also live in a world where personal performance, what you can do and what you can show, is often rewarded. And so when we are confronted by the real challenges, the real spiritual challenges of life, oftentimes our first instinct is to go down that fork in the road, to turn and to fight on our own. So I have three pleas for you on this day. First, fight the temptation to tie your performance to perseverance. Secondly, remember that the dangers that lie in our life, the dangers that are posed by Satan, are not unforeseen by God. If you take a quick look at these four verses, all of these things were either prophesied for in the past and then that prophecy was repeated by Christ or he prophesied what would happen, whether it be good or bad. Most of it bad on this night. But nonetheless, all these things were foreseen beforehand. All things happen according to the word of God, his determined counsel and foreknowledge. And that should give us hope as we're on our road and we come to a problem. We can trust in him. Lastly, we must keep Our eyes on Jesus. Don't pass over his words. As Peter rushed out to do. Because Jesus is our advocate in the heavens. He intercedes for us. He prays for us today. Just as he did on that night. When one of his closest disciples. Was going to deny him. He does the same thing. For us. Today. and Let us look to him. Knowing that the perseverance of a saint rests not in ourselves, but in the prayer of a Savior that can never fail. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful because you have promised every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And this includes among so many that we consider and many that we don't. It includes perseverance. And Father, we know that we can trust in you. We do not have to trust in our own abilities. And you will take us to the end of our faith. Father, I just pray that you would give your people strength. Give them wisdom to look to you when we so often want to look to ourselves even to overcome the problems that come from our own heart. Let us trust solely in you in those things we do each day. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.